This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, making real ingredients for active people like you, probably, if you're listening to this. Because if you're an athlete, you need real nutrition, and real nutrition comes from real ingredients. Today, I want to turn your attention to spelt, a type of wheat that's been around since medieval times in Europe. Bob's calls it the traditional grain of Germany, and in Germany, they like efficiency. So perhaps it's fitting that spelt is more easily digestible than other forms of wheat. In fact, some people with wheat allergies say spelt is no problem. The body also absorbs the nutrients in spelt more quickly than other grains, contains more protein than standard wheat, and it's a good source of iron, magnesium, and dietary fiber. That means it can help regulate your metabolism, increase circulation, and generally promote good health in all sorts of ways. Find out more at bobsredmill.com outside and enter for a chance to win some Bob's Red Mill treats, a subscription to Outside, a book from our collection, and a brand new backpack. One winner will be selected at random each month. That's B-O-B-S-R-E-D-M-I-L-L dot com, if you're wondering how it's spelled. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. It's possible that no one has had a greater influence on modern recreational running than writer Christopher McDougall. Back in 2008, he began working on a story about a little-known American ultra-running fanatic named Micah True, also known as Caballo Blanco. And he was writing about True's quest to put together a race that would showcase the running culture of Mexico's Tarahumara Indians. That story became a book, and that book was Born to Run, which became a revolutionary bestseller and popularized the idea of barefoot running. This month, McDougall is back with another book, his third, which in some ways might be even more radical than his first. The title is Running with Sherman, and it details his work training a sickly donkey to be an endurance athlete, and eventually run with him in the world championship of human donkey running events, which is a thing. It's not a story you hear every day, So outside editor Chris Kyes, who's himself an obsessive runner and endurance athlete, spoke with McDougall about just what he thought he was doing, and whether he now believes that the rest of us should start running with animals too. Here's Chris. Every summer in downtown Fairplay, Colorado, a marathon starts on Front Street next to the Hand Hotel. More than 50 racers crowd the avenue, shaking off nerves, downing gel packs, preparing to set off into the mountains on a rugged course that never dips below 10,000 feet. In other words, it looks like your typical trail running start line, except for one thing. Every runner is paired with a donkey, and when the starting gun goes off, total chaos ensues. Welcome to the World Championship Packed Burrow Race perhaps the oldest marathon in the U.S. So, what exactly is burrow racing? As Christopher McDougall writes in his new book, which chronicles his own comical foray into running strangest discipline, quote, packed burrow racing is a throwback to the gold rush days, back when prospectors would hit pay dirt, heave their gear onto burrows and hightail it to town to file their claims. He then explains how in the 1940s, long after prospectors had disappeared from the mountains surrounding Fairplay and Leadville, 
Locals started to revive the bygone practice, racing each other in informal weekend events between the two towns. In 1949, the informal events became an official race that has since been held annually ever since. There are essentially only three rules. All donkeys must carry a miner's pack, no one can ride their animal, and the first human donkey team to cross the finish line wins. As McDougall tells it, he never really set out to become a burrow racer. Around 15 years ago, he and his wife bought a small farm with a log cabin in Peach Bottom, Pennsylvania, the heart of Amish country. The pair had no farming experience, but slowly acquired a few starter animals, as he calls them. First, a few stray cats showed up. A couple years in, they bought some chickens and eventually a few goats. Then their nine-year-old daughter started asking for a donkey. McDougall put the word out to neighbors, and one day, his friend Wes told him he'd found one, a donkey in serious need of rescuing from its owner, a hoarder. Perfect, McDougall thought. He didn't realize it at the time, but this donkey would eventually lead him to the start line of the World Championships in fair play. But first, the donkey, who they named Sherman, would have to learn how to walk again. That's right. So my neighbor Wes is a Mennonite elder, and the you know, Mennonite community is very supportive, very um, comforting to all of its members. And they knew about a guy who was a member of the church, and his family was actually in financial trouble because this guy was spending all of his money getting animals and feeding the animals and not paying for food for his family. So Wes and some other Mennonite elders were stepping in to help the family out. And when they went into his barn and they saw what was going on there, they basically sent up the red alert, like, we got to get these animals away from this guy. So Wes told me about this. And I'm thinking, okay, cool, man. Cute little donkey. Dynamite. It's free. You know, that's, that's my favorite price. So my daughters and I drove out with Wes to the hoarder's farm. And he took us around back. And right off the bat, like, as soon as I saw this shed, I just got this feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, oh, man, I, I don't want to see what's inside. And we opened the door, and this thing is like an Inquisition dungeon. It is just dark and dismal, gloomy, so, so knee-high in water and muck that the goats are standing up on bales of straw just to stay out of the muck. And we're looking around, like, I don't, I don't see any donkey here. And then finally, in this tiny stall against the back wall, we see this like gray shadow and it just kind of limps toward us. And I look at this thing, I just go, oh my God, like this is not, this is not the cute, playful donkey we were hoping for. And then the second thought is, oh my God, we got to get this thing out of here. So we told Wes like, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll take him. After some tricky negotiating, Wes managed to convince the hoarder to part ways with the donkey. McDougall got his first look at the struggling animal when his friend delivered him the following day. Sherman was so debilitated he could barely make it down the trailer ramp. The most crippling thing about him was that his hooves had never been trimmed, and animals in captivity don't naturally, you know, pumice their own hooves. They, they, they grow out. And this thing had never been trimmed, so his hooves, they were like like sled runners, you know, like, like swim fins. They're about a foot long and, and curled up in the front. So this donkey couldn't even walk. It could barely get off of the trailer. Its fur was just in miserable condition, just matted and fetid and rank and crawling with parasites. Uh, its mouth was a mess. You know, some of the teeth were falling out. 
And we looked at this thing, and I don't, I don't know animals, but I looked at this one and thought, I don't, I don't think this thing's going to survive. Peach Bottom is a half hour away from any sizable town. And like all residents of this rural area, the McDougals had learned to tap into the friendly community's collective wisdom whenever they were in over their head. And they were definitely in over their head with Sherman. So Chris immediately called his neighbor, Scott. Scott, who just came, you know, whipping up and he gets out of the car and he's all reassuring to us. He's like, don't worry, you know, I've seen it all. And then he looks at this donkey and he's like, I've never seen this before. And I was like, oh, good gravy. So the, the hooves were the problem. You know, when, when something is that far gone, it is very hard to reshape them again naturally. And usually that means the animal is going to be lame. And if it's a donkey, and if a donkey is lame, it can't digest its food, and that's it. It's a goner. So Scott looks at this donkey, and he's like, all right, here's the Hail Mary. Do you have a hacksaw? Which is something you never want to hear in a medical situation. So, uh, yes, I got a hacksaw. And so I get a hacksaw. And then Scott, oh, man, this dude pulled off, to me, just the epitome of bedside manner. Imagine taking a shell-shocked donkey and approaching it with a hacksaw and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut through half of your hoof. But he, he did it. He managed to trim these, uh, these hooves, these overgrown hooves, with a hacksaw to the point where it seemed as if Sherman might be able to walk again. But healing Sherman's hooves was only the start of a long rehabilitation process. Scott's wife, Tanya, an expert at raising donkeys, also stepped in to help. If Sherman was going to survive, she told McDougal after taking one look at him, he'd need a reason to live. That got him thinking, back to his scant knowledge of burrow racing, something he'd learned about while reporting his book Born to Run. He started hatching a plan. Maybe Sherman could run a marathon. The pivotal factor was, was Tanya. You know, so in the second wave of the assault on Sherman's healing came in the form of Tanya. She shows up and she's got like buckets and sponges and clippers. And in, in the middle of all of her ministering to his health needs, you know, at one point she turns to me and she's like, you can't just fix him up. You just can't shoot him with painkillers and antibiotics. He needs to have a reason to live. He needs a, he needs a job. And I'm like, hey, dude, you know, I'm a writer. What, what job do I have for a donkey? I'm not like pioneering westward. This is it, man. He's standing in the field. But even as I'm thinking this, I'm also remembering, oh, yeah, you know, there were those burrow races in Colorado. And I wasn't thinking at the moment about actually racing. My only thought was, well, you know, those people all seem to have a good time running around with donkeys. Like maybe I can get Sherman to join me every day on a run because I'm going out every day anyway. So maybe he can go with me. And so that was just the thought. And I kept it to myself because... I just kind of thought that if I said anything about this, like Tanya would just basically take the animal away from me. Like I'd be an unfit parent. But it, that, 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 was the, that was the process. Like, oh, I wonder if this would work. And when I finally got the confidence to share the idea with her, she was kind of down. She was kind of down with it. And yeah, it was rough, man. It was a rough four or five months to get started. But Tanya gave us two thoughts. You know, One was you have to bond with that donkey because one thing you learn about donkeys is if it's not their idea, it's not happening. And number two is anything you start, you have to finish. So anything you begin with a donkey, you've got to be confident enough to see that step through the, to the finish. Otherwise, to the donkey, your hesitation is going to be interpreted as danger and they won't try it again. So again, you know, step number one was let's see if Sherman will put one foot on the road. So we let him down to the road. 
He looked at the asphalt, which he'd never seen before. He's like, nope, not doing it. And so Tanya loops this rope under her butt and she sits back on it like she's like a water skier or something and just sits back on this rope and just settles in. And so Sherman is pulling one way, Tanya's pulling the other. And I, this is probably like 25, 30 minutes of this tug of war. And the tractors were coming down the road and they're kind of veering around Tanya. And Tanya's like, I'm, I'm sitting here, I ain't going. And after like 25 minutes, Sherman puts like one foot on the asphalt. Tanya's like, okay, we're done for the day. Fed him some treats and sent him back in. Like that was what our training was like. It took more than a month of patient encouragement before Sherman would even walk on the road, let alone cross it to get to the trails that beckoned beyond. To get him there, Chris soon learned that his job wasn't necessarily to lead Sherman, but to listen to him. And to me, this was really about a partnership. And a partnership is about understanding the needs of the other half. It can't be you just telling the partner, this is what we're going to do. That's not a partnership. You know, it's a dictatorship. And with Sherman, what it finally started to sink in was you can actually get him to do a lot if you're paying attention and channeling what he wants to do. This donkey is actually instinctively ready to move, but he's not going to just take my orders. And so, again, the big breakthrough was weeks and weeks and weeks, we finally get him on the asphalt, a couple of steps. And then one day, my daughters come home from school, and I try to show off, like, hey, look what we've done. We got Sherman stepping on the, on the pavement. Isn't this cool? And then my daughters show up, and not only is he on the pavement, he's, he's trotting up the road. Like, completely caught me by surprise. And it finally clicked. What was going on was it had always been me and Tanya trying to get him to follow us. But once we had a herd, once it was me, my two daughters, and the three of us surrounding him, once he's in the middle of a pack, all of a sudden it was game changer, and he, he's ready to start trotting. And here was the key realization that finally unlocked Sherman's potential. He needed a pack to run with. So Chris borrowed two donkeys from Tanya, Flower and Matilda. But now he had another problem. Each donkey needed a runner. He successfully recruited his wife, Mika, but how would he find a third volunteer to join such a dubious project? As happened so many times in this story, just as a new problem presented itself, a solution magically appeared. Out of the blue, an old friend called McDougal and asked if her son, Zeke, who had just mysteriously dropped out of Penn State, could come spend some time running with him. Zeke was not only game to run with Sherman, his participation in the burrow racing project would come to illustrate the book's other main theme, the healing powers of animal bonding. And as soon as I got that phone call, my, my kind of spidey sense was tingling like, Zeke's home from college? This doesn't make sense. This is a straight arrow, straight A, super achieving kid. Um, there's nothing that would keep this kid out of school. He's like top of his class in high school, nationally ranked swimmer who's going to like 4 a.m. practices when he's like in third grade. And for him to take time off, that doesn't make any sense. And you know, our friend Andrea didn't know that we were running with donkeys. She thought I was just still out trail running. So I said, yeah, listen, Zeke can come by, but you know, I hope he's down for running with a donkey. And it's kind of a testament to how bad things must have been for Zeke, where she didn't even blink. She's like, yeah, that's fine. So the next day, Andrea and her son Zeke show up. And, you know, again, I'm looking at this kid, and I don't see any signs anything's wrong. Because, you know, he's a, he's a big, strong, super handsome kid, funny, just dings all the marks for just, this kid's a winner. And then it turns out what had happened was 
he'd actually tried to um, he tried to harm himself really badly. Sorry, I was gonna take a beat there because he's a great kid. All right, I'm cool. I'm cool again. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just when you think about this, like, man, this great kid. And like, and that's what is so aggravating about this mental health problem with depression. I just wish they would just name it something else because it ain't the blues, man. It's not, you know, Zeke was feeling a little sad because he got a D, which never happens. This is a medical condition. This is a cancer of the brain that needs to be treated like another illness. And it's not... Um, and that's what happened with Zeke. You know, Zeke thought, oh, I'm feeling a little sad. I'm going to muscle through this. And next thing you know, he's, you know, he's in an emergency ward explaining why he tried to hang himself. So um, luckily, I think those two factors, the fact that we were running and we were running with donkeys, opened up a door that Zeke might not, not have ever had to um, help, him, help him get better. And, and you immediately put him with, with Sherman, right? Zeke put himself with Sherman. So that's kind of kid Zeke is, man. You know, Zeke, he's this kid. This kid was watching those like Richard Feynman physics videos when he was like in sixth grade. And um, this dude likes a challenge. And the harder it is, the more interested Zeke is. So it took him about, I don't know, a couple nanoseconds for him to kind of scan the herd and realize, oh, this one looks really hard. That one's for me. So, um, yeah. We, we thought at first we would sandwich him between Flower and Matilda, who are the two stronger runners, with, with Sherman in the middle. But once Zeke got his hands on that rope and he saw how uh, vexing Sherman can be, instead of doing like a normal human and saying, no thanks, he, he was down for it. And that's it. They became partners and buddies ever since. Okay, so I want to tell you just a little bit more about Spelt, today's ancient grain. Because if you're a really big fan of Spelt, you can actually grow sprouts from it. All you do is pour it in a bowl, fill that bowl with water, then let it sit six to 12 hours, then rinse it out. It says to keep these in a low light place, so if you see these in the cupboard, that's why. Then every eight hours or so for a couple days, rinse it out again. Otherwise, leave it alone, and in a couple of days, you'll have your very own source of homegrown spelt. Can't open the cupboard with a microphone in my hand. Or you just go to bobsredmill.com, order it, and it'll show up in a bag. While you're there, remember to enter to win an assortment of prizes. That's bobsredmill.com slash outside. Starting in November of 2015, some nine months before the race they hoped to enter in fair play the following summer, McDougal, his wife, and Zeke began training with the donkeys nearly every day. And even in Amish country, they were an unusual sight. You know, out here, I'm surrounded by horse and buggies. You know, I'm surrounded by kids walking their pet goats over to each other's houses. Uh, we have drive your tractor to school day. So I think that we're the normal ones compared to these guys. And then I would see our neighbors like slowing down, like rolling down their windows, like take pictures of us out their car windows as we're running. I thought, yeah, maybe... They were not so normal after all. So, yeah, what we would do is, you know, Zeke would roll up like clockwork around 9.45 in the morning and come on inside and down about 75 espressos. And then we'd um, halt up the donkeys. And the donkeys got to the point where it's almost like they're tapping their watches on their wrist, like, hello, 10 o'clock. And they're at the gate when it's time to run, like ready to go. And that was it. We'd halter them up and we each had a rope, about 12-foot rope. And 
we just kind of fell in the formation. You know, Matilda is the bravest. She would start, and then Flower is the strongest, and she would kind of waft on by. And Sherman would always do the minimum necessary. Like, he would only run as fast as necessary to keep the other donkeys in view. Otherwise, he's just, you know, trotting along. And what we started to do was just experiment with terrains and distances and routes and just see what would happen. And what we found is once we got the donkeys on dirt, they were just like a bunch of secretariats. Like they would just rock it. And we found all these farm lanes and trails and this really cool maze back in a, an old slate quarry. And um, yeah, they, they started to really enjoy it. The more fun and weird it was, the more... Oh, dude, I don't know if you can hear this, but Sherman is braying in the background oh, yeah. right now. How about that? So, yeah, we started to just take them out and experiment and explore every day. By the time spring rolled around, Sherman was proving himself a burrow racing natural. The idea of running a marathon started to look less like a misguided mission. But then, yet another series of setbacks. McDougal broke his hand playing basketball, and just as it was healing enough to handle a donkey again, Zeke broke his foot. I, I thought there was no alternative. You know, this was... This was less than a month was it even two weeks i think it was like a week before we're ready to leave zeke was uh, lifeguarding that was his day job during the summer he's lifeguarding and he was actually working out doing a parkour workout on the playground and that's fine and then he's hungry and he's jogging back to his car and he hits the curb and he snaps his foot and that's it so we got the call that night from his mom and we like sort of rush over to the house and he's got this boot on and he's bummed and i'm trying to be you know consoling but in the back of my mind I'm like well dude that's it man that's it's game over because you know Sherman is a finicky creature you know he's he's tough and Zeke has spent a long time not just making Sherman trust him but also learning all of Sherman's quirks because everything about an animal is is anticipation so before Sherman does something you know wacky like do a u-turn and head back to the barn you got to see it anticipate it and head it off the pass so I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't see the point of trailering three donkeys all the way across America, you know, from Pennsylvania to Colorado. And they have to be together. Not one of them will run without the other two. And so we kind of, again, we threw out one of these Hail Marys. And, you know, this guy named Roger Pedretti, whose brother Rob had been a great borough racer in Colorado. They, they live up in Wisconsin. And I called him and said, do you know anybody? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, my sister-in-law. So he just like shoved his sister-in-law out as a volunteer. And he's like, she'll do it with you. And so at the last second, man, uh, we, we got a volunteer. I didn't know how it was going to work, but at least we had a body. In July 2016, the team set out for Colorado, McDougal riding in a truck with another friend of a friend who'd somehow been convinced to haul three donkeys on the 2,000-mile trip. To play it safe... Rather than run the full 29-mile championship distance with a handler Sherman would be meeting only a few days before the race, they decided to enter the shorter 15-mile event held the same day. And so we, we, we show up on the day of the race, and when you come into the town of Fair Play on Borough Race Day, the donkeys themselves are just, like, electrified because they're looking around, and it is, for the first time, like, it is a world of donkeys. You know, they, donkeys as far as the eye can see. And they're all braying and excited. And, you know, Sherman sees this, and his ears are just like, we're like skyrocketing. Um, so it's cool. And so the people who do this, you, you realize early on in your burrow racing career that the more time you spend with the animal, the more fun the race is. 
And so most, most of the people, they're almost, almost exclusively Coloradans with a couple of weird exceptions. And one of them is the Pedretti family who live in Wisconsin. And they've been coming out to this race every single year now for I believe it's 15 years, ever since their, their brother Rob um, took his own life. And Rob was a great burrow racer. And so the Pedretti family has been commemorating Rob and holding their family reunion in the town of Fairplay every single year. And it's the point now where, like, so many Pedretti's have been doing it. It's like in-laws and boyfriends and kids. And every year there's a whole, there's a whole army of Pedretti's there. But everybody else, these are native Coloradans. They raise their donkeys. They're experienced and savvy, and they are trail tough. Describe the start line of a burrow race because I think, you know, a lot of our listeners and myself included have been at a lot of different start lines before, and it's full of nerves. And I'm just imagining what, what it's like when you add um, an equal number of burrows uh, all in a t- tightly packed space. What's it like? You know, you go through those, you know, the the, the waves you know, of, of like death, like there's like denial, excitement, sadness, whatever, but you go through all those things. So you, you get your, your donkey and you, and you put the pack saddle on it. The donkeys all have to run with a pack saddle with a certain weight limit and uh, traditional miner's tools. So you get your, your, you're really occupied at first because you want to make sure that the halter's right and your rope and the saddle. And so your brain is on the details. And then boom, like the shotgun blows off, which just scares the crap out of all the donkeys. And that, for some whatever reason, man, you know, it's Colorado. What do you expect? But that's, that's what they do. So you have all these donkeys like crowded onto a road, and the road's narrow, so 60, 70 donkeys and their runners, you're, you're going pretty deep. You know, it's, uh, it's you're, you're 10 or 15 rows deep on this thing, and that shotgun goes off, and it's just this, like this sea of turmoil, like donkeys spinning in circles and tangling up their ropes and pack saddles falling off. But the savvy people... To know, know to either get way in front or way in the back. And we were cautioned to just get your asses to the back of the pack here and let the madness you know, ensue. And then once things simmer down, then you can set out. So we did that. Um, the fast runners were up front. They were off like a rocket. There was chaos in the middle. And then we just kind of sidestepped them and eased our donkeys on past. And, man, I'll tell you, our crew, our gang of three, they were, they were champs. They, they really kept their stuff together. Are there, are there any donkeys that just re- will refuse to run when these things start? Every kind of donkey misbehavior you can imagine, you're going to see in the first five minutes of that race. So, yeah, yeah, some donkeys hunker down, say, no, thank you. Other donkeys uh, get panicky and start to, like, sort of nip and jump on each other. Um, people get wound up in their ropes. Uh, I've seen people dragged. People have been helivacked to hospitals because of, of donkey wrecks. So, yeah, it, it can get pretty, pretty mayhemish. Okay. At this point, it would be a breach of literary etiquette to spoil McDougal's entire book. If you want to know how the so-called donkey with the heart of a hero performed on race day, you'll have to pick up your own copy of Running with Sherman. But before I said goodbye to McDougal, I wanted to know what the whole experience, running with donkeys, rehabilitating Sherman, watching an animal help Zeke heal, and vice versa, had taught him. You know, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else I think that whatever I happen to be doing in my little sphere in the year 2019 is what humans have always done. So you just sort of assume that our life has really been consistent for the past, you know, thousands of years, more or less. But it's really been dramatically different. And up until less than 100 years ago, almost all humans had some close contact with animals. You know, our, our food came from nearby. So if you were eating meat, the slaughterhouse was in your town. 
If you were having milk, the dairy was right around the corner and the milkman was bringing the, the, the milk to your house. Everybody had dogs and cats. We were around animals a lot. And it's only in the past 100, 100 years or so that we made this radical departure where we sealed ourselves up in uh, cities and we are in office buildings and we have our own individual cars. So we're no longer relying on animals for protection or for transportation or for nutrition. And again, in the long span of human history, this is a brief and startling change. You know, tens of thousands of years, and all of a sudden, in the past hundred years, we shut out these partners. It's not as if we just lost pets. We lost our main source of security, guidance, and sustenance. And what I do believe is that because of that partnership that that existed for so long, it it became hardwired into our DNA. You know, our brain is wired to pay acute attention to animals, to watch what they're doing, both so they don't get us and also so we can follow their guidance. I mean, I think there's a reason why when right now, if you bring a dog into a cancer ward, you are going to notice instant changes in people's physiology. Uh, Stress levels go down, blood pressure levels go down, pain medication is cut in half, the necessity of pain medication. And I think the reason why was, if you can imagine early humans out in the wild, and you have a domesticated um, lupine with you, a wild dog that you've domesticated, and you're going to sleep at night in your cave, and that dog is purring contentedly, what does that tell you? That you? That tells you that a creature with far better night vision, far more acute hearing, far better sense of smell, if that animal is at peace, that sends a message to you that you can relax as well. And I believe that that became hardwired into our, our brain chemistry to have a sense of security and relief and confidence whenever we're around animals. You know, we keep finding these answers, but because they're inconvenient, we just try to dismiss them. Um, and yet it's not just that whole legacy, you know, it's not just those tens of thousands of years of demonstrable evidence that this has been a good relationship, but in studies in every aspect, like wherever you look at, you look at soldiers with PTSD, you look at kids with attention deficiency, you look at um, maximum security prisoners, you go to a maximum security prison and you set up some kind of animal training program, they do it with security dogs and also with wild horses. You go to those prisons and you find the recidivism rate is cut in half, uh, incidences of prisoner on prisoner crime are just slashed, the, the health and security benefits in all these communities, no matter where you look, skyrocket. And yet, the problem we face is, unfortunately, for the lives we've created for ourselves, it's, it's inconvenient. And so we just kind of refuse to look at the evidence that's right in front of our eyes. Three years later, that idea of our need to pause and listen, it's something McDougal hopes to share with the rest of the world. These days, he invites people to come to Peach Bottom to run with the donkeys, showing them the area's secret stash of idyllic trails. And in case you're wondering, Sherman is thriving. Sherman is rocking, man. He is really good. Uh, we had some friends out here this past weekend and, and took them out. And uh, yeah, he's, he's good. And he and these other two donkeys have formed a super tight bond. And they, they seem like they're really having fun. But every once in a while, I'll be sitting out on the hill just watching him do his thing. and think, man, oh man, like what a different life this guy has now. You know, to be out here having fun, running around. Uh, He's in a really good place.
That was Chris Kyes talking with writer Christopher McDougall about his new book, Running with Sherman. Find it wherever books are sold. This episode was brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, making ingredients that are the backbone of proper nutrition for athletes. More at bobsredmill.com outside, where you can enter to win prizes. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. We'll be back next week with a story about adults who miss recess so much that they're creating leagues where they can play games with each other. Some of them are taking it too seriously. <laughs>